right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Kim. Hey, Kim. Um, welcome, everyone. We're going to do this as a, a five-week series. Um, this is Maria. Hi, Maria, compulsive uh, overeater, recovered. And today what we're going to do is try to cover all the step one chapters. I think it's real important. Um, you know, the, it's amazing to me the big book uh, has four chapters on step one. It just shows you how important it is. Because until I know I'm powerless, why do I care about a power in step two? What am I going to make a decision in step three? Um, so we're going to kind of switch off with the different chapters. Um, just for those of you who don't know me, um, just to kind of show you how this disease manifested on me. In my, in my early 20s, I was actually on my medical chart. It, I was diagnosed morbidly obese. Um, I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without having to catch my breath. Um, I was being threatened to be put on high blood pressure medication. Um, but I also, in Overeaters Anonymous, dieted down to a size 2. Uh, and I was losing my hair, and I lost my period. Um, I've also been bulimic, where I've been binging and purging and over-exercising to the point on a Saturday morning I'd run 10 miles and not be able to walk till Sunday morning. Um, so I think that I always like to stress that because I always thought food and weight was my problem. And if food and weight was really my problem, then I've been all over the scales and my problem never went away. So the first chapter we're going to go over is the doctor's opinion because uh, that's going to tell me what my problem is. It, unless I, I know what my problem is, why do I even care about the rest of the book? So if you want to open up to page XXV, um, if you're in the regular book, if you're in this, this little 164 book, which we do have them for sale uh, up, up top, there are six. I saved your seat, Rebecca, but you can sit everyone, obviously. Um, yeah, uh, there are $6 if anybody wants to, ha wants to have those books there that are the first 164 pages. Um, so the doctor's opinion, I always like to explain a little bit about who Dr. Silkworth is. So Dr. Silkworth was a neurologist from the 1920s and 30s, and it's estimated that he worked with about 50,000 alcoholics. And what he started to notice was a pattern. He started to notice there were different types of alcoholics. So there was a certain type that would come into the hospital, and he would dry them out, and they would leave the hospital, and he would never see them again. And then there was another type that maybe they would come to the hospital once, twice, maybe even three times. And he would sit them down and say, look, it looks to me like you should not drink at all. You have, something happens when you drink. So my suggestion is don't drink at all. And those people would leave the hospital, and he would never see them again. But there was a certain percentage, about 10%, that no matter how many times he said don't drink, and no matter how many times he explained the consequences of drinking, they would return to the hospital over and over and over. So this book is really about the 10%. This is not just for people that, you know, get pregnant and want to lose some weight after the pregnancy or go through a hard time and gain some weight and want to lose it. This is for people that have the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. And that's what this chapter is going to teach me. Because if I have both of those, then I am the alcoholic of the type described in this book. And we're going to see descriptions like that. We're going to use descriptions like chronic alcoholic and alcoholic of our type as seriously alcoholic as we were. And that's what we're looking for. So if you want to turn to um, page XXVIII, or if you have the smaller book, it's XXIV, and that first paragraph, it says, We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is the manifestation of an allergy. 
that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit, they found they cannot break it. Once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So the first aspect of our disease is this allergy, and that confused me. You know, I'm thinking of allergy like, you know, you know I sit down and I can have enough pasta for a family of 10, mm -hmm. and I'm not breaking out in a rash, I don't have watery eyes, I'm not sneezing. What I didn't realize is that sitting down and eating enough pasta for a family of 10 is my allergic reaction. Because the simplest definition of an allergy is an abnormal, exaggerated reaction to any substance. So the way I kind of look at this, and Maria um, is also an alcoholic, I am not an alcoholic. So if Maria and I both sat down, we both had five shots of tequila, we're both going to get drunk, okay? Because that is the normal response to alcohol. But what's going to happen to me is I'm going to feel a little bit sick, a little bit nauseous, a little bit tipsy, a little bit out of control. I do not like that feeling, and I do not want any more alcohol. Maria is going to get a charged up, excited, got to have more in control kind of feeling, and she's going to want more alcohol. Let's get on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go somewhere. So if nine out of ten people react like me and one out of ten people react like Maria, it just means she's having an abnormal reaction. And the reason I like that simplistic explanation is it took all the guilt and the shame out of the way that I reacted. So when I was a kid, I would go to a, you know, a birthday party and, and I was having cake. And I would have my piece of cake and I'd be sitting there going, hoping the mom's going to say, does anybody want to help clean up so I can go in the back and eat all the cake that everyone has left over? And I'm sitting across from a little girl that's having half a piece of cake, and she's now engaged in conversation with the other kids. And I'm saying, why don't I have that, that um, self-control? Why don't I have that willpower? What I didn't realize was she doesn't have willpower. She actually doesn't want any more cake. In fact, if she had some more cake, she might feel a little bit sick, a little bit nauseous, and she doesn't like that feeling, which is why she doesn't have any more cake. I don't know about you, but when I go out with friends and I would hear them say, you know, I'm too full for dessert or it's too sweet, I thought they were lying. But that is the normal response. There is such a thing as, as too sweet if you don't have this allergy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So what is that allergic reaction? That's the phenomenon of craving. Okay, so my father, who's a normal eater, he might say, we're going to go see, you know, his sister Mary Ann. And he's saying, wow, I can't wait to go see my sister Mary Ann. I'm really craving her apple pie. What he's meaning is he's remembering how good that apple pie was the last time that he went to see his sister. That's the normal definition of craving. Within the doctor's opinion, the definition of craving is the physical response that I get when I ingest certain substances. It's that feeling that I cannot get satisfied. It's that feeling that I get a charged up, excited, got to have more feeling. So in Overeaters Anonymous, we all have the same definition of abstinence. That is, I have to abstain from those foods, those ingredients, and those behaviors that create the phenomenon of craving. Now, the challenge we have in Overeaters Anonymous is those foods that create that craving are, are, are different in each of us. Now, there's a lot of common ones that overlap, 
but we have to find out individually what it is for us. And that's why my personal belief in OA is so essential that this doctor's opinion is really taken thoroughly. Because until I understand what abstinence is, I can't move forward with the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. You come into AA, you know what sobriety is, but we are gifted and challenged in a way that we are a fellowship that, that has different allergies or different allergic foods. Does that make sense to everybody? Mm-hmm. So just like um, it says here, I can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, that's why I have to get clear. And, you know, I'm actually going to call out somebody, but I, somebody I was working with, I remember she called me and she had a really, really bad sore throat. And she texted me, and she's like, Kim, you know what? My throat is killing me. She's like, I think if I just have some sugar-free ice cream, that's going to help my throat. And this girl is also an alcoholic. So I texted her back. I said, so would a shot of whiskey. And she's like, got it. So I have to be as vigilant with my allergic foods as an alcoholic is with alcohol. Because the only way I'm not going to have the allergic reaction is not to ingest those foods. Okay. So let's drop down. How does that interact with the mental obsession? Because I know friends of mine that tell me once, you know, once they start eating Doritos, they can't stop eating until the bag is done. And I'll ask them, well, what do you do about that? And they'll say, I don't open up the bag of Doritos. See, that's someone that might have an allergic reaction, but they don't have any mental obsession around it. They just logically know they can't open up the bag of Doritos, and that's sufficient for them to not do that. So if we drop down to the bottom of the page... Same page. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. So what I'm looking for is what creates that effect in me. Because I came in with the delusion, like, listen... I know I'm eating too much here, so if you people in Overeaters Anonymous can teach me how to enjoy three Oreos, I'm good. Because it's just that Oreos taste that good. But I had to look at my own history, and I encourage you guys to look at your own history. You know, I was eating food when it was stale. I was eating food when it was raw. I was eating food frozen that needed to be cooked. So it can't just be that I like the taste of it. There's an effect in there. In fact, I always remember in high school... You know, we'd have to maybe bake cookies or something. And I cannot stand coconut. I mean, I really can't. Someone recently gave me um, cream rinse with coconut in it, the smell. I was gagging on it in the shower. I, I, I had to throw the whole thing out. So what I would do is I would make coconut cookies because that way I won't eat it. But I would binge on the coconut cookies because even though I hated the coconut, there was something else in those ingredients that I would eat through the coconut taste in order to get that ingredient in me. So I have, to, I have to know what that effect is. And once again, the effect is the same in each of us. It's just what creates the effect may be different. Okay? So, and it says that the sensation is elusive. So that's why we have to do some investigation in Overeaters Anonymous. But I, I often use it like this, too. Like I, I, you know, in fact, it happened to me a couple weeks ago. I can't remember where I was, but I was somewhere, and this guy walked by, and I was like, ooh. And he was half my age, and I was actually embarrassed about it. But there's something about blonde hair, blue-eyed, surfer boy guys that just turn, it just floats my boat, you know. And I don't remember making a decision about it. You know, I just know since puberty, I get that butterfly feeling. So that's the same thing with the food. And if you go into a grocery store, what are the aisles that you've memorized? And what are the aisles? You have no idea what's down that aisle. When you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet... 
What are those things that you think, why the hell are they out of that, and other parts you're not even noticing? You know, if a hurricane's coming through, you know, Superstorm Sandy's coming through, I was not sitting there going, oh my God, I gotta get to the store and get broccoli. I need to get some broccoli in the house. So we do know what they are, but we need usually help identifying what, what that is, even though we know it's injurious. You know, I always use this example, too, with pizza with me, because that was one of my favorite binge foods. And I would order a pizza pie, and I would have two slices, and I would put the rest of it in the refrigerator saying, I'm not going to eat any, not going to have any. And in the middle of the night, I would get up, and I would eat the pizza cold. And then I'm like, you know what? I can't be doing this anymore. I'd get the two slices of pizza. I'd wrap it in tinfoil. I'd throw it in the trash. And I'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd pull the pizza out of the trash, and I would eat it. And then I'm like, no, no, can't be doing this, can't be doing this. So I would eat the two slices of pizza, and I would put it in the trash without tinfoil. And I would get up 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd pull the pizza out of the trash and wipe off the other trash, and I would eat it. And then I really, really got desperate. And I'd have the two slices of pizza, and I would put Ajax on the pizza. Mm. And I would throw it in the trash. And 2 o'clock in the morning, I would get up, tears rolling down my eye, saying, I don't know what else to do. And I would eat, wipe off the Ajax to the best of my ability, and I would eat the pizza. There's something going on there besides the fact I really, really like pizza. Now where it says I cannot differentiate the true from the false, my alcoholic life is the only normal one. I remember I tell this story all the time and someone coming up to me and saying, why didn't you just buy two slices of pizza? Why'd you buy a whole pie? Never occurred to me. Never. Why would you buy two slices of pizza? That sounds freaking insane. But that's what the alcoholic mind at its best. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. And once again, if that was my only problem, if that was the only problem in any 12-step program, rehabs would kick out 100% recovery. Because if you go into a rehab, they are going to separate you from your substance, whatever it is. They can have a logical conversation with you at day 28 and say, this is the consequences if you don't do this. And everyone will walk out recovered, right? So the next couple paragraph tells me why I can't stay abstinent contently. It says they are restless irritable, discontented, and I like to say uncomfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. Unless they can again experience the this, this sense of ease and comfort which comes at once, at once, by taking a few drinks. Drinks they see others taking with impunity. So my real problem, you know, if my problem was really Doritos, then my problem would be over once that bag of Doritos is gone. See, my real problem is what happens when the bag of Doritos is gone. Mm. Because what happens with me is life gets loud. See, food quieted life down. It got me that buffer. And when I'm not eating, life gets so loud. And the only way I've known at this point to shut, up, shut that up in my head is to eat the food. So I get restless, irritable, discontented when I'm abstinent. And that cannot be treated through a food plan. In fact, a food plan often makes that 10 times worse. So. What does that cycle look like? If we cannot get, if we cannot get, um, actually Sandy, Sandy B, he said it beautifully, and I'm going to put it in compulsive overeating. I am a compulsive overeater if I cannot eat safely and I cannot be abstinent contently. So I have to know that I, if I have both of those, I'm going to need a spiritual experience. So what does that cycle look like together? It says, after they've succumbed to the desire again. So the desire I think of is the mental obsession. I am stone cold abstinent. No allergy. Actually, let me go back for a minute. This was something that was important to me, this idea of craving again. 
my personal experience is day one and two, I'm pretty good. I got enough going through me, I'm pretty good. Day three to five, three to seven, I'm dying. Because that's when the food is coming out of me and my body is screaming, you have to have some. But after the allergens out of me, that's when I'm coming to a meeting saying, Whoa, I feel great, God took the obsession away. But all I'm feeling is the, the freedom from the allergy not being triggered. And then I'm two, three weeks abstinent, and I'm crawling the walls, and I'm thinking, I have to have food. I'm really craving it. Well, in the context of the doctor's opinion, I'm not craving it because it's not physically in me. What I'm feeling is the mental obsession coming on me. So if I'm within a week or so, yeah, that's a physical craving. If I'm two, three, four weeks out and I want that food, that's the mental obsession. Once I pick up the food, it's, it's the allergy and the mental obsession together. But that was one of the things I had to really get. I was not craving food three or four weeks out. What I was feeling was the desire. And I love the word succumb. Mm -hmm. And in, the definition I wrote down is to give way to a superior force. Isn't that how it feels? Like I have no other options but to pick up the food. Because I can't stand being in that sober state. So I always like to use, and I think in, my, in our fellowship, I think one of the things that we do, which is a real disservice, is we talk about slips. I had a slip. I got back on track. I have to understand, I've succumbed to that desire again. I so remember a girl calling me and told me that she had a slip, but her and her sponsor talked about it, and she can, she can, it's going to be a slip so she can keep her time. And I think that's a big thing with us. We don't want to count our days over. So I said to her, what, what's a slip for you? She was like, I was out to dinner with my family, and I had dessert. And I said, okay, so can we agree that a slip is an accidental fall? Yes. I said, so you're considering a slip. You're sitting at a restaurant, asking for the dessert menu, making a decision about what you're going to order, waiting till the waiter comes over, ordering that dessert, waiting till the waiter comes over. He brings it to you, pick up a fork, and you eat the, eat the, the dessert. That's not a slip. That is succumbing to the desire again. And once again, once we ingest that food, that's a biological reaction. What I realize, let's say we're allergic to strawberries and we break out in a rash. What I am doing when I'm using that slip mentality is I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to eat the strawberry and I'm not going to break out in the rash. I'm trying to control the outcome of a physical manifestation, which seems insane. But that's what I'm asking to do. Okay, so, so that's the first part. Um, restless, irritable, discontent. I'm in that desire. My, I call it straw vision. That's, you know, everything looks good. I'm looking at you guys, peripheral vision, right? That desire, that obsession comes on me, and suddenly I'm looking through a straw. And that's all I can see. Eat the food, eat the food, eat the food. I pick it up. I succumb. It says, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. So once again, the craving comes after I ingest the food. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, you guys know that feeling? Mm -hmm. <sighs> what, three, four, five seconds? Which is why we have to have more and more, which explains to me why the first three Oreos taste great. But three or four sleeves in as that craving is mounting, I'm not even tasting the food at that point. I just know that I need to have more and more in there. It says, with a um, emerging remorseful, holy crap, how it happened again. With the firm resolution not to eat again, I swear to God this time's going to be different. Monday morning, I will start my diet. 2017, I am over. Now, of course, it's 11.59, and this, i got to finish this bag of this box because those starving kids in Africa, I don't want to waste the food or anything. My worst, my worst binges were at 11.59. You know, but this is going to be different. And so this is going to happen over and over and over and over unless 
the person has an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So we're going to hear other words together, psychic change, personality change, spiritual awakening, spiritual experience. They all mean the same thing. It's a transformation of thought in my head created by the 12 steps and an entire psychic change. So one of the things I want to compare that to, if we want to turn to page XXX, and that fifth paragraph, it said, all these and many others have one symptom in common. So whether I'm 100 pounds overweight or I'm bulimic, whether I throw up or use exercise, whether I'm underweight, anorexic, what is it that we all have in common? They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, is the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. So once again, I'm a distinct entity. People who can come into Overeaters Anonymous and just do tools or get a food plan because it's January 1st and they don't want to pay for Jenny Craig mm -hmm. to come in, and they can do that, that's great. They're not, they're not a compulsive overeater of the type in, that, that's described in this book. It says it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. That was true in 1939, and it's true in 2017. I mean, they will cut out our intestines in bariatric surgery trying to make us not eat, and it doesn't treat the spiritual malady. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Now, where my alcoholic brain goes, that word suggests is next to abstinence. It's only suggested. <laughs> I don't need to do this. But the whole power sentence is the only relief I have to suggest is entire abstinence. So if I have a twofold illness, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, the only relief for the allergy is entire abstinence. And if I have the mental obsession, the only relief from the page before is an entire psychic change, which means, number one, I have to put the food down first to have the clarity of mind. We talked about men and women drink, women and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The simplest way I heard it explained is, I cannot get the effect from the steps if I'm still getting the effect from the food. And I have to tell you, even as a recovered woman, I still am an effect person. That hasn't changed. The difference is I get the effect by living in 10, 11, and 12 that is far greater than the effect I ever got from the food. And if I choose not to get the effect in 10, 11, and 12, then my mind's going to default back to the only thing it ever got an effect from, which is the food. So if I have to get that entire psychic change, that's where one day at a time comes in. And this is my opinion. I believe that we've watered down in all 12-step programs, one day at a time to one day at a time white-knuckling our food. I mean, I really believe the best that I could do in Overeaters Anonymous was to go to bed exhausted, having beat the food for one more day. I didn't realize I could have freedom. I really didn't. I thought it was temporary respites. I thought if I had more abstinence in a year than I had non-abstinence, that was a good year in OA. I have to tell you, I've had over six and a half years of back-to-back -back abstinence contently. I had six years of, of, of abstinence where it was very difficult to... It was much better than being in the food, but I still was exhausted. I still was terrified. I was always one bite away. I'm not one bite away anymore. My personal belief is I'm probably three or four thoughts away. I can tell you right now two things with absolute certainty in my heart is that I am, I am experiencing permanent recovery. I never need to eat again. Never. 
as long as I stay attached to these 12 steps. I am also equally convinced if I stop doing this step work, I'm probably three or four days away from a relapse. Because I alcoholic mind, just because I haven't been eating for six and a half years, doesn't mean that mind hasn't been continuing to grow. And that allergy, I'm sure is what, I don't, I mean, this is just my personal, I don't even believe I'm gonna go back to what I was doing six and a half years ago. I believe it's gonna be worse. You know, I, I also am allergic to penicillin. I had a really bad reaction as an infant. I don't even know what that reaction was, to be honest with you. I was just told never to have penicillin. I don't believe as a 50-year-old woman that, that that reaction is going to be the same as I was when I was a kid. My body is, is, is a lot weaker. It's probably going to be 10 times worse. But I don't have to go to Penicillin Anonymous because I don't have any mental obsession. In fact, mm -hmm. six and a half years ago, Right when I started, before I started doing this this work, I had broken my ankle, and I mean I looked, slipped in the in the ice storm and looked down, and my foot was 180 degrees the wrong way. And when they got me in that ambulance, I've never felt pain because once I went from the ice cold outside into the warm ambulance, I mean the pain was unbelievable. And because of the snow, every time the ambulance hit something, the pain was shooting through. And I remember grabbing the girl in the ambulance and said, "Please write up my chart. I'm allergic to penicillin." I mean, that's how sane I am around penicillin, which I don't even remember what the reaction is. Yet I have had consequence after consequence after consequence with the food. But yet I can't bring that into my head when I'm getting restless, irritable, discontent. So there's something different with this allergen of the food than it is in any of the allergies that I have. Now, this is the miracle, and I'm going to end with this. If we go back to XXIX, that first full paragraph. So on the other hand, and as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once the psychic change has occurred, so once I've gone through all 12 steps abstinently, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to, find, to follow a few simple rules, which are the steps. So what happens is you go through this 12-step process, and the reality is I don't want to eat. So I'm easily able to control my desire, meaning that the obsession has been removed. And once again, this is just my experience. You know, for, I was in OA for 17 years before I had a spiritual awakening through the big book, and I always said I was recovering. And what that meant for me personally is that I was, through self-will, trying to like make phone calls, make meetings, um, you know, work this rigid food plan, which I have the same food plan now, which seems like freedom, but at the time it felt like a rigid food plan. I was doing, I was self-driven, recovering of Kim. When I did these steps, I, the reason I, word, I use the word recovered, it's the most humble thing I can say today because it's what God, God is doing for me. I could never do this on my own. So I'm easily, I, I don't control the desire to eat. God has removed the desire to eat. And how does that happen on a one-day-at-a-time basis, which is where the big book tells us one day at a time, is once we've had a spiritual awakening, it talks about a daily reprieve, is because if I follow these few simple rules and I stay connected with the power, I am not cocky or afraid. I'm in a position of neutrality. I feel safe and protected. I have not sworn off. And that's the reality that I have by working these steps. But the first part is I had to recognize that in and of myself I was powerless. And the first part of knowing I was powerless was saying, with this disease concept, in the doctor's opinion, do I believe that I have this disease?
because if I don't, I don't have to do the work. If I do, I'm going to have to do the work. So with that, I'm going to stop the recording.